Hello and welcome to the latest CRU Sustainability Podcast with me, your host, Sarah McNaughton. For the next 15 to 20 minutes, we'll be providing insight on one of the big sustainability questions of the day. And in this episode, with a focus on science and innovation at COP, we thought it was a good time to explore green ammonia. Now, green ammonia has been touted as a decarbonisation solution across a whole set of industries. Um, but there's still some uncertainty around whether it really is a viable tool. So should we believe the hype? Joining me today to share their views, I have Alex Derricott, a senior analyst in CRU's fertilizer team, and Willis Thomas, an expert on green project financing from CRU's consulting team. So let's begin at the beginning. Uh, Alex, give us some background. What is green ammonia and how is it different to conventional ammonia? So, yeah, it's definitely been a massive topic that we've been uh, following within the fertilizer team and uh, the hype and the project announcements just just keep coming through. We take a bit of a step back and actually just consider ammonia as, as a whole and traditional grey or brown ammonia that's produced by hydrocarbons. Ammonia is a critical uh, intermediate product uh, within the, the nitrogen fertiliser space. So it's used to produce products such as urea, AN uh, and UAN. Now, why that's so important is the uh, green revolution, which saw wide-scale uh, use of, of ammonia and nitrogen fertilizers from the 1960s, really allowed the, the, the global population to rise from about 3.5 billion up to the 7.5 or so we have today. So it's been really critical in guaranteeing food security for huge quantities of people. So um, the, the traditional ammonia industry, as I mentioned, it runs off uh, hydrocarbons, be it primarily uh, natural gas, but also coal, particularly in places such as China, plays a really important part as a, as a feedstock. However, when you're using hydrocarbons, you are producing emissions. Uh, you are breaking down the hydrocarbon into its C and its H component, and you're taking that H, uh, that hydrogen, and combining it with nitrogen extracted from the air. You've got leftover carbon dioxide. And that means that uh, the nitrogen industry uh, produces only about 1% of total greenhouse gas emissions. So, you know, a significant portion. Now, we're seeing green and blue ammonia, so a variety of different colours being, you know, really pushed as a, as a potential way or avenue of decarbonising uh, this really critical industry. Blue ammonia is really focused around uh, carbon capture and storage in a, in a permanent manner to, to try and limit the, the emissions that are, that are being produced. Green ammonia is a, a bit more of a, a leap in, in terms of technology. What you're looking to do there is actually use renewable energy to run electrolysis uh, to, to break down water into its oxygen and hydrogen components and use that hydrogen combined with uh, nitrogen from the air um, to, to produce ammonia. So this could obviously be quite an interesting route for the, the, the nitrogen fertilizer industry. But it's not just that that's driving this hype. There's also a variety of other demand markets which really could make uh, the, the green ammonia industry have a bit of a step change, should we say, in terms of its overall importance to the global economy. Yeah. Thanks, Alex. So obviously, definitely a pr promising uh, solution for ammonia producers at the production side, but a lot more potential out there. Willis, I know you've been looking at some of these other markets. Can you tell us a bit about where, what other potential and new sectors green ammonia could be used in? Absolutely. Thank you, Sarah. You know, the ammonia molecule has long been valued for its nitrogen content. The whole point of the Haber-Bosch process is to pull nitrogen out of the, the air and pair it with hydrogen to be used in downstream fertilizer products. 
that value um, balance is changing as people are trying to find ways to value the hydrogen portion of the molecule. And here's where we can get into some really interesting use cases. So ammonia for the longest time has been used specifically in fertilizers as well as in a lot of industrial uses. The industrial uses in fertilizers aren't going to go away, but there will be new avenues where ammonia can be used directly as maybe a combustion um, fuel source in marine engines or in uh, passenger cars, heavy duty vehicles, uh, and the like hard to abate sectors generally is where you're gonna see ammonia used. Uh, and you can also use them as an energy storage vector. And really it's an, as an energy vector overall that we see the largest amount of potential here. And when we talk about potential, we're talking about um, you know, things like decarbonizing marine shipping. And, and when we think about this in scale, overall, the ammonia market today is about 180 to 190 million tons. If we took, let's say, 30%, give or take, of the marine fuel market, that's approximately 660 million tons of ammonia. So, you know, not that that's an achievable um, benchmark here in the near term, but just thinking about scale, that's what we're talking about here when we move into hydrogen value into some of the other markets that ammonia can move into. And that's why this has become such a large uh, portion of interest, I guess, topic of interest inside the ammonia fertilizer industry. And overall, for a lot of interested parties across different um, conglomerates, industrial activities that are really looking as a, at ammonia as a potential source for all of these uh, new um, demand issues. But we also see competitors there. So it's not as if green ammonia is a panacea for any of these. Uh, certainly there are other technologies there that may get in the way of all of these developments. Thanks, Willis. Um, I wonder if you could talk about where we're seeing investment in these projects. So to give some contrast, in other commodities such as steel, a lot of the investment is focused on that portion that Alex talked about. So looking at where the uh, commodity is being produced, it's local regulation driving decarbonisation, adoption of technology, and that's by and large where we see the most investment. But green money is a bit different, right? There's both the local pressure to decarbonise and then you're talking about these much larger tradable markets. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, where, where are we seeing the most interest in investing in a new kind of green ammonia project? Absolutely. So when we think about ammonia costs in any way, shape and form, it's the energy input that is going to be our largest cost. And that's true of brown and gray ammonia, but it's also going to be true of green ammonia. So right now we've seen the most project development where we've seen the lowest variable renewable energy costs. So that would be places like Australia, Chile and Oman, Saudi Arabia, Middle East overall, uh, where there is a likely source of potentially solar, but also in, the, uh, in Chile, the abundant wind resources as well help back that up to produce a, you know, significant renewable potential. And when we are faced with the challenge of a continuous Haber-Bosch process and renewable energy, typically the energy side needs to be overbuilt to provide enough capacity for the downstream here. So typically we're looking for very large scale um, solar arrays or wind arrays that could be the potential source of this. So that's where we're seeing that. And the reason for this is with green ammonia, you could potentially export green energy across the globe. And so there is a lot of development in places where that um, is a potential and where they'd like to export a lot of their renewable energy if there's not enough uptake in that particular country. 
as well as we've seen smaller scale projects that are more focused on what we call uh, import dislocation. So in the case of Chile, they um, import a lot of ammonia to produce explosives. And this project there that's been being developed to, uh, you know, uh, I guess, dislocate or displace those imports. Um, so we've seen a little bit of small scale development in that way, but most of the rest of them are looking at large scale development. Finally, we've seen a number of fertilizer producers add on a green unit or a green line or some green augmentation to their current existing production base. Uh, and that particularly happens a lot in the European producers. Yeah, thanks, Willis. Now, I think you've touched on a few of these already, but maybe to, to put a bit more focus on it. What would you say are the main challenges in the development of a green ammonia market? And I guess the question is to both of you, but I'll start, Alex, with you. So looking from a, a fertilizer perspective, um, you know, as I mentioned before, there's always a really kind of key balance between um, fertilizers and kind of food security and emissions. So the green ammonia market, if it wants to fulfill a role as a, as a kind of a feedstock for nitrogen fertilizers, then it's going to need to supply um, that product uh, to the field and, and, and make sure that there is enough food security and, and enough food being produced to feed the population. Without that, it's difficult to build that narrative about reducing emissions when your own populace is is, is going hungry. And, and I think that's going to be one of those, those key developments. So lowering those costs or better valuing carbon or, or kind of really considering both aspects is, is going to be really key. Um, I would say as, as well, there are some opportunities with green ammonia kind of uh, Will has touched on, upon it slightly there about those producers that are reliant on imports of nitrogen fertilizers, uh, places such as India, um, or imports of ammonia to produce ammoniated phosphates, for example. Green ammonia could be a way of um, guaranteeing that food security by being able to produce a little bit more uh, low carbon domestic uh, production of, of, of ammonia to then use as, as a feedstock for other critical um, uh, foods, uh, foodstuffs. But in terms of other challenges, uh, you know, I think the overall one we really need to think about when it comes to the fertilizer aspect is that balance between food security and and really kind of the, the COP26 goals, I guess. Mm, thanks, Alex. Maybe uh, touching upon that, thinking about in the fertilizer markets today, uh, a big topic of conversation has always been, has recently been in Europe, especially the high gas prices and how that's affecting the, the ammonia production costs. Are there any analogies or lessons learned, do you think that the market could look at thinking to a future where we have green ammonia for fertilizer use and it's expensive? You know, how, are, how are markets, how are governments dealing with this issue at the moment in, in places where we're seeing those high gas prices? I I would say that the high gas prices has definitely been one of the, the most interesting topics and probably one of the most challenging ones for, for European um, nitrogen uh, producers. Yes, green ammonia could be um, a, a potential lever in, let's, let's say we're focusing on, on Europe at the moment, of giving a little bit more uh, energy security. You know, you're less reliant on Russian gas, you're less reliant on a US LNG uh, imports because you've got a bit more of that domestic market, particularly as the North Sea gas fields in a way potentially start to decline or you're, you're less willing to invest because of its potential um, carbon impact. Europe also is quite useful because uh, it uses primarily an, uh, an ammonium nitrate fertilizer, which doesn't actually require CO2 as a feedstock. Urea, which is the most prevalent fertilizer globally, 
actually requires carbon dioxide as part of its production process. I, I believe around 0.73 tonnes of CO2 per tonne urea, uh, which is which is quite a substantial actual carbon dioxide consumption point actually within the plant boundaries. Um, so uh, green ammonia could be a really uh, important tool as being a bit more energy or, or fertiliser independent, but dependent on your fertiliser demand and the crops you're growing and all of that, it is not always the best solution uh, currently. It might be better to focus a bit more on blue, you know, that carbon capture and storage side as well. Mm, thanks, Alex. Well, as maybe looking outside the fertiliser markets then, what would you see as the biggest challenge for for those other end-use sectors who could be using uh, green ammonia? Well, I think right now the biggest question or challenge really is around technology. The technology doesn't exist in a commercialised form in many of the demand industries that I spoke of just five minutes ago. There are not ammonia-fueled main engines for marine ships. There are not ammonia fuel cells. There is not currently a market for ammonia to be cracked back into hydrogen at the use cases um, or you know end use areas. So it's the technology. You know, certainly we can look to technological timelines. We can look to engine development timelines. But that's probably the biggest challenge there. Um, you know, are we seeing enough of the moves towards that? Absolutely. The announcements are out there. The development of the R&D is definitely taking place, but it's a significant challenge there. Um, certainly on the investment side, you know, having a whole market set up, I think, is an important part of that. Industry needs to be at the forefront of that. But there are other challenges. You know, certification is one that has been a growing issue around how car how low carbon certainly the ammonia is and what it can be used in and how it's be used. Certainly there's so much paper infrastructure to be brought on here. You know, we think about ammonia being transported uh, 20 million tons or traded, you know, a seaborne market, but that's traded as cargo. Using ammonia as a fuel is a significantly different venture and a whole lot of paperwork needs to be put together on the policies and procedures. Ammonia is a toxic chemical. And so it's not as if this is a panacea for everything. So there's going to be some challenges working through that. So it's not only the, the hard infrastructure, it's the soft infrastructure too, that I think are the biggest challenges here. Certainly there's a lot of money coming in and investment on the supply side of this. And I think the demand side is yet to catch up a little bit more on how they can utilize ammonia all the way through. So there's a money aspect too, but that's true of the market development for any commodity. I think Willis, just to tack on slightly to that, I think Willis touches on a really good point around the infrastructure and the traded ammonia market at the moment. As Willis mentioned, only a fraction of that total production for ammonia for fertilizers is actually traded anywhere. The infrastructure, the tanks, the storage um, is, is in you know, a small amount of geographical locations that are specifically designed to take that. You can't just import ammonia just because you have a port next by. There's a hell of a lot that needs to be done uh, to, to allow that. And if we want to see green ammonia used more widely, then it's not just the investment in the plants, the renewables. You're also going to have to invest in all of that infrastructure, the handling. And, you know, as Willis also mentions, it's toxic. It's probably better than moving just pure hydrogen around. But uh, there's still a lot of challenges associated with that. And I think some of those sort of safety or kind of more process related issues are, are things that aren't necessarily seen in the market at the moment. So I think you both raised some important points with that. Maybe moving more to the demand side of the equation, I'm interested to know, do we see sufficient or do we see evidence of demand pull in these markets? Obviously, in the fertilizer sector, 
there may be some farmers who are calling out for fertilizer with a lower carbon footprint, but probably not to the same extent that you would see in a metals market from a, you know, a technology company driving that demand. Um, obviously, it's a little bit different in some of the end use sectors, transport and so on that you mentioned, Willis. So, any views on that? I guess I can jump in with the fertilizer side very quickly and just say, you know, we're going to see continued population growth. We're going to see as people become richer, they normally increase their, their calorie intake. So there is going to be increased demand for nutri- uh, for nitrogen and other nutrients uh, going going forward. When it comes to a green kind of premium or things like that, we've yet to see that really start to, to, to develop. However, carbon pricing, things such as the carbon border adjustment mechanism in the European Union are key in helping to drive and formulate at least some uh, some associated value with lower carbon um, uh, ammonia and, and fertilizer products. So it's not it's not perfect yet. It's not completely clear, but there are some definite trends that, that will support that going forward. And in the other areas of demand, new demand, new applications, I think we're seeing a sort of interesting barbell where at the very beginning, the most upstream, the supply side, they're really looking to invest in this and find ways to enter the green ammonia market because they see the cost coming down the line. Also, the very end users, the Amazons, the Ikeas, everyone who is a large consumer of shipped goods and things like that, they're ready to pledge um, to you know, working climate change and things like that and towards net zero goals. And consumers are willing to pay more for organic foods in some ways, and certainly we've seen that. But it's more in the middle of the market. It's when you're getting ammonia that costs more and you have to then produce a you know, processed fertilizer that is then costing more. That's where we haven't seen as much of that yet. Now, certainly that's coming down the line, and I think there are demand signals there. But certainly when we see you know, companies like Maersk order green methanol ships, that's not the demand signal for green ammonia. But overall, that's the signal for more decarbonization efforts. Um, so I think that's probably key that we're seeing a lot of demand for decarbonization efforts, but not necessarily always for ammonia in there. So certainly there's some positive aspects around this, but there are also significant challenges of getting it up to speed because you really can't order a ship today on green ammonia without the correct engine technology. So you have to get over those barriers we just mentioned before, before you can really start seeing the demand signals other than pledges and desires and wishes and hopes. Thanks, Willis. I think, again, probably echoing some things that we see in other markets. So in the EV market, the debate between fuel cells or batteries, or even within the battery market, different chemistries, there's always this kind of tension. And it's it's really a, a trade-off between how efficient something is or effective and the costs. And we know that markets change to, to try to minimise those costs. So interesting to see how that race uh, develops in the future. Um, Coming close to time, but I was maybe going to ask you a few final comments on what the top three things that you think the green ammonia sector needs to to develop. Well, I'll start this because it's one of my hot topics. It's certification. You have to be able to certify how low carbon 
you have. I know that's a, an ongoing effort, but the industry needs to lead on that, needs to have some guidance and needs to come together around what that certification process is going to be and to make sure that it truly has authority and it has transparency, I think is really key in the next steps. It's that paper infrastructure. Without that, you really cannot tell how blue or green a cargo is. And at the end of the day, it's the same ammonia molecule. It doesn't have any color. It's a colorless gas um, or liquid. It doesn't really matter. So they need to have that because then you can have a tradable market. And I think that's so key to what we're seeing here. And without it, you're not going to see any of those top end huge demand estimates. You're going to see, you know, just a lower carbon footprint for the current ammonia market, which is a good thing. Don't get me wrong. But when we're trying to revolutionize or look into that, it's a certainly a different set of expectations. Alex? Yeah, from the FERT side, um, I think, you know, there are, there are certain trends that, that feed through through both, you know, better valuing of carbon and emissions is absolutely key. And without further development globally on on on, on that, then it's it's always going to be a bit of a bit of a challenge. Uh, better costs, you know, in terms of renewable prices, um, the actual, you know, the overall OPEX and CAPEX costs, also key. But I think ultimately, while those two are incredibly important, it's also about balancing that food security versus emissions. The, the topics definitely swung towards emissions, a bit away from food security when, when we come to, to discuss this, but it's absolutely key. And I feel one of the concerns is if we start to see a squeeze on food production, on you know, the, the contentness of, of, of populations around the world, then governments may see that as a big, big warning light to, to reinvestigate how they're approaching this topic. Well, and it's really moving ammonia from truly one very sensitive topic, which is food, into another one, which is energy. So it's not going to lower that type of footprint, really. It's going to raise the footprint that ammonia has in everyone's mind and the criticalness, um, criticality, excuse me, of what you're going to have for ammonia on the food and energy side if you're so tied to one industry. So there's a lot of concerns and challenges out there that the industry needs to allay, I think, throughout this. And certainly we've seen that from other industries that have moved into the food versus fuel uh, discussion around some of the challenges that have been there in both oils and in um, ethanols and things like that that have been fairly difficult. So these will be challenges. We can look to those um, as a potential roadmap of how maybe, you know, what pitfalls to avoid. But I think that's going to be an absolutely top concern is, you know, making sure that that is balanced. Thanks both. So maybe to wrap up, I think my key takeaways are that Ammonia has a huge potential, and I use the word potential very specifically, in helping uh, reduce emissions from the ammonia production process, in being a, a lower carbon or a zero carbon alternative to some of the existing hydrocarbon uses that we see today. Um, but, but there are definitely significant challenges. One of them is costs. Uh, and we can think about a role for regulators there, uh, whether it's through subsidy or carbon pricing, uh, but also quite important technical challenges that are limited not just to the scale up of these technologies, but the logistics um, and being able to transport it around the world, especially for the, the end uses that you talked about, Willis. And I think the final point on on costs is, I mean, this is a, an ongoing concern for a lot of the green technologies. We, at the moment, these technologies are more expensive than the than they'll conventional alternative, that's why they're not being developed. And there's a tension for, for governments between ensuring decarbonisation and not passing on cost inflation, uh, perhaps to consumers who can always afford it. So lots of big topics uh, and important issues raised today. Maybe looking to COP then, I think what we could see in terms of 
development through the discussions that are ongoing at the moment would be things like getting more momentum and consensus around things like a global carbon price. Um, people coming to the table with more specific policies about how they want to achieve their climate targets and the sectors that they're going to push for decarbonisation that could really help kind of give confidence to developers in this market and help push it forward. So with that, uh, I will thank both my speakers today. Thank you very much, Alex. Thank you very much, Willis. Uh, please tune in for future sessions where we'll be discussing the role of EVs and recycling in the green transition. Thank you.